0: Father, we acknowledge your presence with us this morning. There there isn't a better place than to be in your presence, Lord, and to hear your voice. And I thank you that the entrance of your word brings life. It brings light into the dark areas of our hearts and lives, and it transforms us. And I pray, Lord, today by your spirit that you would transform our hearts. Lord, we welcome you We say our hearts are open, Lord, to hear what your spirit is saying. And Lord, we as well say to you, by your grace, will you help us in those areas of our lives where we just have been unable to let go of the things of this world? We say, Lord, graciously help us. Help us, Lord, because we know that this world has such a tie and such a hold on so many parts of our lives. But, Father, we say to you, please, have mercy on us. Help us in our weakness. Strengthen us, encourage us this morning by your word. Help us to see a bigger, better picture of the things to look forward to, the heavenly realities, the truth, Lord, that one day you will return. And, Lord, this day is a day that we want to live for you and you alone. So, Lord, we say to you, please, come and help us to live a life that honors and glorifies and blesses your heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's good to go back, I think, to first principles, and I think I'm probably going to start sounding like a bit of a a stuck record, because God just won't let go of me (laughs) on this particular message, and what he's been saying to me, and about the awakening of our hearts, about giving everything to God and laying our lives down on the altar, giving it all. And this, believe it or not, is a first principle. When we come to Christ, it is a coming to him and saying, Lord, I give my all. I recognize that my life to this time has been a complete wreck at times. But now I know the answer. Now I know that by giving my all to you, And everything can be different. And this has been my experience. And I know it's the experience of many, many people here. That you've come to an end of yourself. And that was the beginning of God. That was the start of the life. And we need to come back, I think, to these first principles. It's for new believers. It's for those who don't even know the Lord yet, who've never asked Jesus Christ into your life. And if that's you, please... Listen to what the Holy Spirit would say to you today. This could be your beginning. And for those of us who are perhaps a bit longer in the tooth, I'll tell you what, these first principles, we have to come back to them and lay our lives down again and again. Come back to the cross. Come back to the end, because the end is the beginning. And I want to read from uh, Luke's Gospel. For those of you who like to do a bit of homework, uh, I'd ask you to read... Uh, From Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 44, and I think you'll get a bigger picture of of some of the things I want to to say today, but for the sake of of time, I'm going to read starting from verse uh, 18. I think I finish at verse 32. Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowd say that I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day, be raised to life. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Mark's gospel also says there, it says that, Or oh, what can a man give in exchange for his life? Jesus, in these few verses that we've read, explains that an an eternal and an, an alterable principle of human life, that something has to be sacrificed. If we will not sacrifice our natural nature and all that we want and desire for ourselves, then we sacrifice the spiritual life but we all sacrifice something. You may lay your life down in order for God to give you his life. Uh, it, it's not this, uh, an equal exchange, is it? it? It's like me giving a grain of sand to God and God saying, here you are, have the whole world. <laughs> the exchange is an incredible one that we give the little that we are and have And God gives us everything. He doesn't hold back at all. It's not, I'll give you a little bit of me and I'll have a little bit of God. If you just give and you're just prepared to give some of you, then you may as well give nothing at all. To deny yourself means to... Utterly disown yourself, putting no confidence in your flesh, in your natural capacity. It speaks of a decision of no confidence in yourself whatsoever. You can look in the mirror in the morning and you can say, I don't trust that guy. He looks a bit dodgy to me. Jesus himself had the power to lay down his life, and he says, and to take it up again. And so do you. You can say to God, I give you my life. What a fantastic worship song this morning. I give you it all, Lord. I lay it down for you, God. And we can do that genuinely, and we can live that way for a while. And then just as easily, we can decide that we're going to live for ourselves again. It might be a little thing to start with. It might be, you know what, I just don't feel like church today. I've got better options this week. But you know what? It can become a lifestyle. Little by little, we can start taking back parts of our life. And before you know it, there's no room at all for Christ. Christ. In our small groups, we've been talking about living an extraordinary life, your extraordinary life. And if you're on week three, as, uh, as I was this week, or we were in our group, we read Deuteronomy chapter 30, or we heard it being read, verses 19 to 20. And the people of Israel were about to enter the promised land, and God said if they wanted to stay there, they had a choice, and it was a very simple choice. It says this, this day I call heaven and earth as a witness against you. That I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. Choose life. That decision has to be decisive. The Lord is your life, not an insurance policy just in case your own life doesn't quite work out. Choose to live under God's blessing by surrendering your life to Christ. If you choose not to, that's your choice. But understand there are eternal consequences. There are consequences that are fantastic, but there are also consequences that aren't. To begin this series of the ways of Jesus, we've had a few teachings already, haven't we? But the beginning point, and I was praying, what is the starting point? And we know the starting point. You must decide to end your self-determined way of life. You start at the point of death to your surrender to his will. The Bible teaches that you're not here by chance. Do you know that? You're not just here as a freak accident of nature. You're here by design, by God's design, by God's plan for your life. And it says this uh, in the message uh, version of the Bible, which is a paraphrase. It says, It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we heard about Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us and designs for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he's working out in everything and everyone. God's plan was worked out before the whole of creation. And what this is saying is that this great big plan of God for all of creation has you in it. He's got a plan worked out, worth living, before you're even Born. And it's not about you either. It says you're his workmanship. The Bible talks about his craftsmanship. Crafted, created by God for his great purpose. It's in him that you find a worth a life worth really living. It's in him that you find your extraordinary life. Jesus' prayer teaches us to ask, Thy will be done. Why? Well, it's because his will is perfect. It's perfect for you. He knows, God knows what's best for you and for your life. You might have discovered by now that your own plans haven't worked out too well. If you've lived as long as I have. <laughs> and as many of others have, you know that Our own plans, generally speaking, don't work out too well. And certainly to this point, to the point of turning to Christ, I tell you things change when you give your life over to him. He never fails. God's promises never fail. He's good. He's perfect. And he will not let you down. The Apostle Paul wrote... In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 31, he said, I die every day. I mean that, brothers. He dies every day. Paul was a willing participant in the calling of God. The early disciples were called the the people of the way. The way of God, the life, the true way. So Paul didn't find it easy. Every day, he felt that he was having to die to himself. Why would would he do that? He had his eyes on the prize. He had a picture of of the future. I've said this about vision. A picture of the future that created him a passion. A picture of God and of glory of heaven. So great that he was prepared to die every day. To anything that would take him away from the purposes and the callings and the plans of God for his life. When we've got something, a vision and a picture so great, it's not hard to let go of things that aren't so great. Have you ever traded things in and you see the thing of great beauty and the thing of not so great beauty The rust buckets or whatever. It's not a hard deal to to, to trade in the rubbish for the new. The old thing, the old way of life to a new way of life and to a glorious future. And this is Paul's vision. And this is the vision we need to have. This picture of the future. Reminding ourselves constantly of why we're here and what we're hoping for. And he goes on to say, stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Anything that we give to God, I believe, has a blessing attached to us. If we give ourselves to God. If we give up something for God, I believe there's a little something attached to that that says, bless you. I'm going to bless you for that. I'm going to bring blessing into your life. And you know, we may not always see the blessing right now, but I tell you what, there is a blessing in heaven. Whatever we give up for Christ and for him, of ourselves and our own desires and way of life, there's a greater hope and blessing in heaven. If your vision of God, if my vision of God is not so big and not so great, it's so easy to get sidetracked, isn't it? Preferring all manner of things to God. You and I will start satisfying our own desire for pleasure and may chase after personal goals and ambitions without any thought for God at all. You're willing to compromise to get what you want, but are you willing to do what it takes? Even... Uh, even to, to, to lie and to compromise your faith to save face in order to get what you want out of life? To what extent am I willing to compromise? Is your priority to have a comfortable life or are you prepared to pay the price because you see a better f- a future in Christ? Do you continually get sidetracked by life's distractions? There's always something, isn't there, to do First. There's always things to do, home improvements to do, a career to chase, hobbies to follow, travel, life, even family life. And you might say to yourself, well, maybe one day I'll have time for God. Jesus says that life's pleasures and the desire for what we can have and do for ourselves are like weeds that strangle the life of God out of us and make us unfruitful a wasted life rather than an extraordinary life. God has called you and me to something far better. He's called us to something that is lasting and he wants us to take hold of God's great gift of life. Heard it said many, many years ago, we have steak on a plate while we wait. It's not pie in the sky when we die. You know, we have something now to get our teeth into and our life into, something worthwhile to live for, but also it's while we wait for the better as well. Romans 12, verse 1. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. We make choices every day. And I believe that these choices are sometimes just like crossroads. They're moments in time, and we've all had the moments in time where we make a very conscious decision, a very deliberate decision to do something. And at the time, you know, it might seem insignificant, but I believe they're often very real, secret uh, tests of character. Do I admit to being given the wrong change? (laughs) How many of us have actually thought, oh, that's a nice one, (laughs) a bit extra this time? Do I... Choose to tell that little lie that we might even justify by calling it a white lie. Do I pull a sickie? Do I do the right thing even when it's costly to do that? The decision we make is under God's watchful eye. And I believe these little things, these little choices are so significant for us. They might seem small, but I I believe that within us, there's something within us that's saying, no, choose God. Choose me, and the more we choose not to, it's as if our conscience gets seared. It becomes easier and easier to compromise. But the more we choose to soften our hearts to God and choose the right thing, the harder it becomes to do the wrong thing. Satan's uh, temptation of Jesus was on the very same lines that we're tempted. To take control of your life and your destiny rather than to give it all up for the sake of Christ. His temptation in the wilderness was designed to encourage Jesus to establish himself as the son of God. At the heart of every answer that Jesus gave was his total submission to the father. In effect, he was saying, I didn't come here to to assert who I am. I came here for God's will to be done through me in his way. And that's what God wants for us, isn't it? God's will in our lives as he would do it, not as we would try and get him to do it. Even Elijah, many of us think, know the the, the story of Elijah when he had a a pray off with the prophets of uh, Baal on Mount Carmel. And he was confronting spiritual powers of darkness and idolatry and false gods. And these are things that appeal to the flesh, they entice and draw us away from God. And his challenge is to make right choices. Temptations will come, but we have choices. Choose this day who you will serve, Elijah said to the people. If Baal is God, then serve him. But if the Lord is God, serve him. How long will you waver between two opinions? It's one or the other. And as I said before, you can't have a bit of both. So Elijah's saying to them, go on then. Give yourself to your passions. Give yourself to your lusts, your ambitions, your desires. So lend, surrender your own life to this world Serve Baal, but if God is God, serve Him. Be hot or cold, but please don't compromise. Don't be lukewarm in your walk with God. The the scripture I read in in Luke uh, nine are words that Jesus spoke just eight days before a pivotal event took place. Now Jesus was no ordinary teacher. We know that he. He was teaching with wisdom and authority. And no one had experienced this before. He commanded the weather to be quiet. He turned water into vintage wine. He raised the dead, healed the sick, the blind, and the deaf. Fed the hungry with a few small fish and some loaves of bread. He preached a kingdom that wasn't of this world. And himself as the only one. By whom we can enter that kingdom. And people flocked by their thousands to hear what he had to say. He was famous at this point. And hopes were really high amongst all of the people. And these were signs that he was doing. Signs that were clear markers that proved that he is the promised Messiah. And the Jews Jews believed that he would come and deliver uh, the people. And God's plan of salvation was even bigger and, uh, and better than they could have imagined at that time. But he goes up onto the mountain to pray and he's with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And in Luke 29, let me just read these few verses to you. Luke, sorry, Luke 9, verse 28 to 32. He says, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter and John and James with him and went into the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. The two two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared with glorious splendor, talking with Jesus, and they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring uh, to, uh, to the fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but they became fully awake and they saw the glory, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. The re- what must have been going through the disciples' minds at that point? First of all, they, were, they could have missed it. They were asleep. They were, they were asleep praying with Jesus. <laughs> I'm glad it's not just me who struggles with prayer. But there they are fast asleep with the king of glory on a mountain. And then suddenly, glory appears. Jesus is lit up, his face shines, and the glory of God comes. And thankfully, they're stirred up and wake up. And they see this with their own eyes, the glory of God. But I tell you what, if we're sleepy, we can so easily miss it. God demonstrated his holy love towards us. Jesus forsook everything. This is, when you think about the glory on that mountain, that Jesus forsook to come to earth as a man. And after the glory had departed, what did he do? He went down the mountain into the valley. He came back down. And... And from the glorious presence of God, literally he came face to face with a demonized child. And this, his father had been watching in desperation, his tormented child screaming and convulsing and foaming at the mouth we hear. And he pleaded this uh, man with the disciples to heal his son, but they were powerless to help but Jesus came down the mountain. Jesus left glory and he came into darkness and he saw this child and he delivered him. Jesus left glory for us, for our deliverance. He came down the mountain. He came from glory and stepped into darkness that we might have life, that we might be delivered, that we might be set free It's so different when Jesus turns up. So different when he comes. And I believe that he's called us to be light in this darkness. He showed them a a bit of his glory. So that they might see what he had left and come down to. And where he is now in glory. And he wants to be glorified through us today. He wants his light to shine in and through our lives for us to be salt and light in this world, for us to be Jesus to this world. You know, he says, pray. Pray for the harvesters to go out into the harvest field. Pray for people full of the Spirit of God, stirred up awake and filled with him, with his glory and his power, with his word, with his spirit, Pray for these harvesters to come, for us to rise up of these people filled of God to speak words of life and truth into darkness. Pray for this. We need to be filled. We need to be moved again by the Spirit of God and speaking out truth and life into this world. There's a darkness in this world. We see it every day flooding out through our television sets, seeing it spoken constantly. Filth and darkness And we're the light for this world. We have life and we have truth in the word of God. And we can speak into the darkness and say, Jesus is the answer to your darkness. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. We have a better future, a glorious future. And we can tell people about this wonderful future. Let's not hold it in, but let's get it. Let's see it. Let's grasp this thing with our hearts and say, Yes, Lord, you've called me out of darkness. You've called me to be light in this world. I spoke a, a couple of weeks ago in, one, uh, in 2 Peter 3. How Peter had written his letter to wake you up fully. To stir you up. He didn't want anyone to miss what they nearly, nearly missed on the mountain. The glory of Jesus. The heavenly hope. The truth that heaven's real and Jesus is the way. He wants to wake you up from distraction, from deception, and to uh, those things that draw you away from the call of God in your life. The transfiguration gave these three disciples a holy shake, a wake-up call. And I think we need to have this same wake-up call today. And what might wake us up? Well, hopefully this will wake you up hearing the word of God as we read and are stirred by the spirit of God. But there's so many things that can. I've been jolted sometimes in my, in my own life. When you face redundancy or something like that happens, a sudden wake-up call or sickness besets you or you have a near miss, something life-threatening life or even a, a midlife crisis, an identity, uh, an, uh, identity crisis, a Something happened that you think, oh, what is it all about? We need those moments of times where we suddenly see things differently. As God intends us to see. And sometimes it does take, doesn't it, a jolt, a a nudge, something happening in life that says, come on. What What are you about? What are you living for? So that we start to see as God intends us to see. I can imagine that those three disciples would have listened to Jesus' words, hung on every word from that moment on. Can you imagine, after seeing his glory, how they would have hung on every word? We need this paradigm shift from seeing seeing things solely from a natural plane to see that there is a kingdom dimension, a shift from uh, head knowledge to heart understanding, from believing about Jesus to truly believing in him from knowing about the truth to really knowing the truth, an awakening, a revelation, a quickening, call it what you will, but we need it. And you know what? Every one of us here can have it, if we ask. Ask him, pray, seek him, cry out to him. If you're feeling cold, If you're feeling as if I need to be moved, as if I have been drifting along in life, if you're feeling that way, then get before God and say, Lord, wake me up. Shake me. It's easy for people to come and pray for you, but I tell you what, it has to come from here. It has to come from you. There has to be something in us that says, Lord, please, I need this. I want it. I want the revelation. I want the quickening. I want to hear the voice of God we need to be asking and seeking God with all of our hearts. Jesus himself deliberately submitted to God, saying, I can do nothing of myself. John 5, verse 19. He totally subordinated his intellect to God, saying, The words that I speak, I speak not of myself, but only as my Father, as I hear my Father. He submitted his will. Saying, my my father that dwells in me, he's the one who does the works. Totally submitted to God, to his father. The dominant note of Jesus' life was total surrender to his father, to his will. And the evidence was very much in his prayer life. Jesus constantly relied on God in prayer. Time and again he withdrew to be alone with God. To be quiet. He spent nights in prayer. He disappeared, and people started searching for him. Where is this, where's Jesus gone? Where is he? We want him. We need him. They went looking for him because he, he often went into solitary places and he'd spend time with the Father. It was as though he had this rhythm of life where there was the times where he had to stride out into the things of God, but then he had to withdraw to be with Father. He had to continue to, to renew the life springs, to renew. uh, uh, the the heart, and to hear what God was saying to him continually. There were times, you know, when Jesus just listened with the inner ear of the heart. And you could almost sense him going quiet as people are accusing him and and speaking at him. And in his heart, he withdraws to hear, God, what are you saying to me? what's What's your heart on this? And many times we know in the scriptures where he's just moved with compassion Something in him just was broken for the brokenness of the world. And we sometimes, we often need to withdraw and say, Lord, what are you saying to me? What is your will? And then to stride out into the next of God. What next, Father? You know, at the beginning of Mark, it talks about how uh, the people wanted him to stay with them. He was so attractive, he just wanted to be with Jesus. I'm sure he, he was fun to be with. He was a joy to be with. He, he gave life from what he was saying and people just wanted to be around him. And so people said, stay here. But it said he'd spent the previous night praying. And he said, no, I've got to go into all the region around here and preach this good news to everybody. He could so easily have stayed where he was, but he was continually hearing from God and doing the next thing in God. I heard one famous preacher uh, had said, um, I've never had an original thought in my life. That's quite a thing to say, isn't it? But I tell you what, what an amazing thing to say when you think about this. That if he was hearing from God and what the Holy Spirit was saying, if he was hearing what the body was saying, what, then why should we have to have an original thought in our lives? We can hear from God and hear what he's saying to us. Jesus surrendered his will to the Father, and so should we. John 12, verse 23. I tell you the truth. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will be also. My father will honour the one who serves me. Jesus didn't come just to show us what a holy life was like. He came to make us right. He came to make us holy by means of his death. Can you imagine if Jesus had just decided, you know what? It's great up here on the mountain. I think I'm going to stay with Father. And he didn't come down from the mountain. Can you imagine that? You know, we would have this incredible picture of heaven, of glory. Can you imagine the three disciples having seen the glory of heaven at that moment? Having this great picture of what could be and what was, what is. But with no means at all to get there. That Jesus had to come and live this life. He had to come down from the mountain to die so that we might live. He gave his life as a bridge for us to cross from death to life. But if he hadn't done that, to have seen the glory and the presence and the the knowledge of heaven, and to know that this gap, this chasm is too wide because of my own unholiness and ungodliness, to have seen a glorious life like the life of Jesus and to see the standard that was beyond me, and to say, I can't. And to have this hope of heaven. Can you imagine that? I'm so glad he came. I'm so glad he stayed and he came down from that mountain. I'm so glad he gave himself for me. That his blood washed away every one of my sins and cleansed me from all unrighteousness. And for the hope that I now have in him. Oh Lord, what must I give? He just wants our hearts. He wants us all. Some people may refer to a problem that they have as their cross, as the cross that they might bear. But that isn't what Jesus meant. You know, we all have trials, we all have difficulties. But Jesus meant something so different. He said that this isn't just a symbol even of pain and of suffering, but of death. Jesus was telling them, by taking up your your cross daily, that you must put to death your own plans and desires. And turn your lives over to do his will. You know, unlike Jesus, we have a habit of taking back our lives, don't we? Take them back again. And yet he wants us just to lay them down. In 1 Samuel 15, we hear about uh, King Saul. Uh, Samuel had given him a clear instruction to totally destroy the Amalekites. Not to spare them or any of their animals. Saul, however, he spared all that was good and only destroyed the things that were despised. And Samuel uh, said, my paraphrase in effect, let me tell you God's thoughts on this. God sent you on a mission. You've willfully disobeyed God in that mission, preferring to preserve your own life. And your half-hearted attitude is not pleasing to God, and it's not fooling God. You can't pull the wool over his eyes. Don't think that by our making sacrifices to God you're doing your religious, and doing your religious duty, you're going to cover up willful disobedience. God wants you on that altar. He wants you on that cross fully. He wants you and me to lay our lives down fully for him. And Saul made a sacrifice as we, in, in 1 Kings 15. The sacrifice he made was he sacrificed his anointing as king. Because you've rejected me and the word of, uh, sorry, you've you've rejected the word of the Lord, then he's rejected you as king, is what the word of God says. We must be careful what we're sacrificing. But sure, as I said at the start, we're all sacrificing something, either the natural life or the spiritual life. Our theme song mustn't be, I did it my way. If you're a Christian, you were once dead in sin. But now through baptism, through the burial of self, you're now dead to sin and living for Christ. I have been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We live in a wicked generation. And I know this could be a real jolt to some of us. It's been a jolt to me. But I believe that this is what God's saying. Wake up. Choose life. Choose him. It's worth it. (laughs) There's a great reward. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for your living word. And in our hearts, Lord, we choose life. We choose life. Lord, for those that haven't yet received Christ, if this is you, then I ask you now just to, just to come before God and acknowledge your sinful ways. Acknowledge that you need a saviour, that Jesus came down from the mountain for you to deliver you. Acknowledge this and receive him in your heart. If that's you, just say this prayer in your heart. Father, I ask you to forgive me of all the wrongs that I've done. I acknowledge that I've lived my life for myself up to this point. But I now choose life. I acknowledge that you died on the cross for my sin. I acknowledge that you raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. And my hope now is in in heaven. I give you my heart and I choose to follow you. All the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. And if you have prayed or if there's something that's really spoken to you this morning, uh, please feel free to speak to me or someone at the end of the meeting and uh, we'll encourage you. Amen.